0: Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina.
1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon. And you know, we like looking at things and talking about what's going on and what does it mean to you. And and uh, as well as separating the news from the noise. So we're going to cover a number of subjects, which include uh, looking at this uh, this GameStop company, right? Like, well, who is that again? I mean, is it Christmas? Are they selling all kinds of toys at this time for the stock to perform the way it is? Uh, and then. we'll look at uh, baby boomers in terms of uh, how some of us are struggling in our 60s, and that does not uh, pretend well as far as the future is concerned. Um, and then we'll look at the, the, in terms of who's saving what, because it see, a lot of times we hear like an overview, which makes it looks like everybody is doing whatever, But then when you look a little closer under the hood to see, is it a four-cylinder, an eight-cylinder, a 12-cylinder engine? You can see that there's more detail. And, And the devil is in the details. And in America, I think we have the habit Uh, looking at complicated issues and really going after very simple answers as though that's the truth for the whole story, as opposed to looking at the whole story and seeing the different pieces to the puzzle that comprise that story. So glad you could spend some time with us and we'll get right to work as we always do on Wednesdays from 12 to one, looking at how the markets are doing, not just daily, But for the year, and of course, we're only into the third day of February of 2021, not much of a year to talk about, but there's still, we we would submit that getting a sense for what's happening this year and then comparing it to last year and over a, a, a time frame five, 10 years, it helps you get a a better handle on how things are happening, as opposed to looking at what's going on every day in the market. Why did it go up? Why did it go down? Well, it seems that's pretty hard to just ride the roller coaster Uh, We like the up days, we hate the down days, we take them personally, but it doesn't give us a real sense of what's going on relative to reading the economy, which we think is very important to do. And by the way, one of the best ways to really read the economy we have come to learn after paying for independent research, unlike so many of our peers, is studying demographics. And demographics is simply looking at the data provided by the government. So it just means we have to go find the data and then find, and then look to see what the data, how to read that data. And it's typically by watching the buying and selling behavior of ordinary consumers. And here's the real kicker based on age. So we want to see, you know, our bicycles in or bicycles out. And, And if we look at age, For example, it gives us a chance to see are sales likely to increase? Have they plateaued? Are they likely to go down? We'd probably want to know that before we open up a bike shop to find out that there are not many people riding them anymore, despite having the best bike since sliced bread. So studying demographics, we think, is is something that's very useful. And we're glad that we've been paying for independent research since uh, 1999. And I will say to the tune of uh, up to ten thousand dollars a year to really get a sense on an overview, you know, the 30,000 foot level, what's good in terms of in high demand, what is plateauing and what is declining in demand, because that will give us a better sense for whether or not this company is going to do well, whether the stock prices are sustainable, or are we really just getting high on the hopium, if you will, uh, as opposed to looking at the fundamentals. And, and I must say when we look at uh, the stock market as Daniel, and I do and talk about it all the time. One of the things that we notice is 2020, it was a banner year, you know, a, um, a bear a bull market for for stocks and a bear market for humans so there's been a complete disconnect in terms of how the stock market is doing relative to most people, relative to uh, separation from Wall Street and Main Street. So it's really hard to see what is fundamentally strong, which is the way that was the old days way that we would determine what might be a good bet. These days, as we will describe in greater detail, it seems to be more about the nanosecond, kind of like early 2000s, where where can I place my bet and in five minutes get rich? Or lose my shirt, which is the other side of the equation. So we'll get down to that. But let's talk about the Dow for a minute in terms of what's going on today, what's happening so far this year. Uh, we have a modestly up day today, um, up like uh, 50 basis points or almost 1%, percent. Nine point two, point nine two. Uh, But uh, year-to-date, it is off uh, 0.77%. So, so far, the Dow is in negative territory. The S&P, interesting that today is 2,321. And the S&P so far this year is, guess what, up 2.38%, kind of interesting, uh, for the year from January 1 through today. Um, And it's up about uh, 15 points on, on, on the day. And now the NASDAQ, it's, as I say, it's interesting to go back to the Dow and see it's in negative territory, uh, 0.77. NASDAQ year-to-date uh, up uh, 6.18%. So clearly a, a, a huge disconnect between the growth stocks of technology, which is, seems to be driving just about everything these days. Again, similar to 2000 to 2002, in my experience. And the old way of looking things, you know, in terms of the Dow, the 30 companies that comprise that composite is in negative territory so far this year. So now let's look at the the big news that seems to have uh, gotten uh, a whole lot of attention. Uh, We've been talking about uh, Wednesdays being wild and woolly. This today doesn't seem to be so wild, but certainly last week it started out pretty crazy. Daniel, I, I want you to help us understand some of these companies that we've not heard much of like GameStop for GameStop for example uh, is uh, going through the roof of, uh, in some people's experience and going through the floor in other but it, it seems like many of the decisions that uh, investors are making is all on leverage so Talk to us if you would. Explain Daniel's a millennial, so he, this is, these tend to be younger people making the decisions and uh, trading on a daily basis. Well, what's going on with GameStop and uh, this trading frenzy that's lifting stocks and stirring fears of a market bubble?
2: Well, <clears throat> a whole lot's going on, and it all goes back to uh, Redditors, and I'm not sure if you're if you know what Reddit is, but it's it's a forum where people, typically younger people, um, talk about different topics. And this started with a stock, with a Wall Street forum, and the idea was to run up these positions and essentially do bad to hedge funds cuz they they noticed that there were a couple of hedge funds that were making big bets against GameStop. Now if you know if you know what GameStop is as a company, it's a retail, it's a retailer, physical locations, never had much of an online presence and what they do is buy and sell games. And that's been a tough struggle, that's been a tough business model and they've they've had a very rough go and they have not been doing well. So the hedge funds were betting that GameStop going was going to go out of business. The redditors got to get it, got together and essentially said, let's run the stock price up and let's give it to these hedge funds because what they're doing is not right. Now, what they're doing is is exactly what hedge funds do. and that's exactly what what wall street wall street is is essentially for. They're making a bet that the company won't survive. and I, in my opinion, I think they're right. That it's a dying business model, and that company's probably not going to survive at some point. So the redditors got together and they actually ran the stock price up. Looking at the stock price just a month ago, it was hovering or it was hovering about the, in the teens in the high teens. Re- most recently, it peaked at about 400.
1: Whoa. Do that math for us.
2: From about twenty to that oh was about two thousand percent run,
1: run up. So, so you put in a hundred thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, and you put in a hundred thousand, and that grew to,
1: oh man. Hang on to your hats here, folks, because the number is mind blowing. It's about two hundred million. A hundred thousand to two hundred million in the time frame of.
2: Oh, this was uh, less than a month. This was a couple weeks, really. Not a bad
1: payday, huh? No, 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 no. Now, understand, folks, this is not a recommendation, okay? In fact, we'll talk more with, uh, you know, what does this likely portent, or in other words, What kind of things have we seen happen when we've seen those kinds of outlandish gains in a very short period of time? And remember, uh, you may have noticed the name GameStop a GameStop in, in, the, in the mall, right? That's where they typically have their physical locations. As Daniel said, they don't have much of an online presence. And again, let's notice this is not Christmas. It's not even Valentine's Day. So none of the decisions that have been made in terms of the purchase of this stock has been based on anything relative to fundamentals, do they have a you know Game Boy that is everybody's lining up for like Apple sold phones, people lined up for? No, nothing has fundamentally changed. the The Christmas season is not here, so there's nothing in terms of sales that is relative to how this market has gone through through the roof. And 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 you know, so individual investors, particularly people like Daniel Millennials, seem to be back in love with the stock market. And they're doing, they, they, they have this newfound passion for options which are making some market veterans nervous. And actually it makes us nervous because as I say, so many of us as uh, buying individual stocks, that's fine. But we're, when we do the purchases with leverage, that's great to the upside. And as you know, with your home, if you have a first, you probably can manage that, put a second, third or fourth on the home and miss one payment. And now this house of cards is, uh, is come crashing down. So what, what do you think is gonna happen here, Daniel?
2: Well, part of it's already happened. Uh, stock price peaked at about 400 and uh, last week it bottomed it went down to about 120 or 130, went back up to about 360 and today it's trading about 94. So it's been a, it's been a very wild ride. But I, ultimately I think I think a lot of people are going to get screwed on this. The the ones that are buying on leverage are could have a could have a very harsh realization if they're going long on the stock. And they're they're doing on leverage with it, whether they're doing it with options or they're doing it on margin, then they could see some real headaches if it busts, and it very likely will. There's not there's no real support for the stock. There's no fundamental like John like you said, John. There's no real fundamentals behind this. It's it's not a four hundred dollar stock. It's not a it's not a one hundred dollar stock. It's
1: probably more like a twenty dollar stock. And it's not coming out with a new car that everybody can, can't can live without. Right? You know, like Tesla, for example, you, that might happen, right, in terms of those kinds of ridiculous gains. But this is all being driven by the bet. And uh, as I say, when there's leverage in the equation, uh, that works out well on the upside. But that, that same practice becomes what was your friend becomes your foe uh, on the on the downside. And it looks to me that we've got a lot of folks who are in it to win it, with the attitude, it's a fear of missing out. So however we can manipulate the market, which I think is what's happening here, uh, to see these gains, everybody wants in, everybody wants to play the game. Whether they're small investors who've aggressively bought calls of companies that have been heavily shorted by hedge funds and other large investors, but they're forcing them to exit and accelerating a rise in the price as they scramble to exit their bets that uh, share prices would fall. So this is—I mean—how long can you, can you see any kind of pattern in terms of how long these bets are being placed before they're redeemed?
2: Well, the option—the options—I I haven't looked at, at how long these options go out. There's there's all kinds of different sizes there's there's one week there's one month there's three months they go out a while so my understanding is a lot of the options that the hedge funds had 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 bought were coming due here in this last week and that's that's what's really caused this run up in price and uh, the decline in price as well those options being coming becoming due
1: so yeah, uh, to explain options for our audience, because I'm sure not everyone understands exactly. We hear the term, but we don't understand what the term means.
2: So if an, option is, an option is a contract in which one person, one party agrees to buy a stock and the other party agrees to sell the stock. With if you're going long on an option, you're, you're essentially betting that the price is gonna go up. If you're going short on, on, on a stock, then you're essentially betting that the price is gonna go down. So the hedge funds they were they were they were going short the stock so they were making a bet that the price was going to go down. They were selling options and so they were selling the promise for someone else to buy at a buy the stock at a particular price. So if they were as an example if they were if their option was was for a stock price of $5 a share and the price is now to $400 a share, they have to sell they have to sell the person who bought the options that that stock at four at five dollars a share and the other and when the stock is actually worth four hundred dollars a share at the time.
1: And see, GameStop apparently folks was one of the more popular targets of these well, some people call them hero slash villains. By one metric, the company was the second most shorted firm out of more than six thousand companies listed in the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, according to the Atlantic. And if Game stocks, uh, if the GameStop's stock continued to fall. As it has consistently since 2013, hedge funds uh, that had bet against the company would have gotten even richer than they already than they already are. So is this kind of a, the big guys against the little guys? Is that part of what's going on here?
2: I wouldn't call it that. I think that's that's the that's the attitude that the, the that the young people or the redditors have taken against it. I wouldn't say it that. That's a natural progression of markets. That's, that's what happens when companies are are poised to go out of business or they're doing bad. The the markets making a bet against them, and I don't see how I don't see how GameStop can possibly pull it around if they're not going to change their business model, which it doesn't look like they're going to. So I don't see how they're going to possibly put it around. But the attitude that a lot of these people have taken is it's essentially us versus you. And that's not, that's not going to end. That's not going to, I don't think that's going to end in their favor.
1: Us versus you. That seems to be the mantra that so many of us are living by these days, right? Uh, as long as I get rich, uh, who cares about you? So uh, as long as I'm uh, the one percenter, uh, then nobody else really matters. Uh, but I think what we, we at some point, the music stops, folks, and everybody has to get off the carousel when the music stops. And that's when reality hits. So uh, we, we will get more into this because we want to talk about how you can balance your portfolio and maybe at least part of your life, no matter which way these markets uh, might turn. You know, how can you put some certainty into the equation? So we're going to go to a very quick break. Please stay close and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: Thanks again for spending some time with myself, John Grace, and Daniel Medina here on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America, ladies and gentlemen. Glad you could uh, be here, and we want to look at what's going on with uh, folks in their 60s, baby boomers, okay? Born 1946 to 1964, many considered uh, the group born in the golden age of the U.S. economy, which certainly lasted for most folks from 1948 through 1973, as MarketWatch observes. And at that point, you know, a high school diploma could be a ticket to a well-paying job, a vacation home, a college degree for the kids. It was the post-war American dream, and millions considered it their birthright. But now, decades after economic upheaval, which includes, of course, three bear markets, two deep recessions in just the past 20 years, many baby boomers uh, again born 46 to 64 are struggling and the eldest boomers have mostly retired but uh let's see it's 46 to 64 so that means this year boomers turned uh, 57 to 75. Um, and by the way 75 gets real close to life expectancy in america so boomers retiring in their 60s still want to or have to work and are having a hard time Uh, finding jobs. Of course, COVID is making the problem um, a lot more difficult with uh, 900,000 Americans between the ages of 60 and 69 who lost their jobs between uh, December 2019 and December 2020, thanks to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Now, that's a 5% decline in the number of employed people in that age group, and some 21.2 million Americans in their 60s are no longer in the workforce, again, per the Bureau of Labor uh, Statistics. So Daniel, what what do you think is going on here?
2: I think people are unprepared and people have not done what they've, people have never done any real planning. And we've talked about this a few times and it's it's sad that it that, it's, that it keeps coming up and it's sad that it's going to be a topic that we're going to have to talk about over and over again because it is a huge problem and we're, we're in the business to help people, but people can only help themselves when they know, when they, when they, when they, when they see that they need it, Um, it's a planning problem. People, people, people typically right now, people in their sixties that are having this problem have never really put any thought into retirement. And we've said this before, but it's, it's amazing that people don't start thinking about this problem until they get to their fifties.
1: Well, that's what's so fascinating. Yeah. And then you you, you, you make the, the challenge even more difficult, right? Because you, you've you lost time. Um, and we, we've, I think in this country, we're notorious for encouraging each other to spend, baby spin. Clearly, what we see in the news every day is how is the economy doing? And what that really means is how much of your income are you spending? And you can spend all of it. And that might help the overall economy. But I don't think that's going to help your personal economy where we should be in our 30s and our 40s getting into the habit of starting to set aside money, getting into the habit of recognizing a target. In other words, uh, and and a simple one is to take the annual income that you might want to replicate and multiply it times 25. That's a very simple one. So if it's 100,000 multiplied times 25. That means that you have the target of 2.5 million with a 4% withdrawal on 2.5 million. Today, that would get you $100,000. Now, that doesn't account for inflation, but it also gives you a chance to see how big that number is. Uh, And with time, of course, the number is going to go up. And I think uh, we have found statistics that only uh, 30% of us Americans have bothered to put a financial plan in place. Now, we all have time to plan great vacations, which we like to talk about, and terrific weddings. And what we're suggesting is that we take the same time, particularly during this pandemic of epic proportions, where we just don't have to get lost in traffic, or get bothered by having to be in so many places simultaneously, that we take the times to focus on our finances, and and this would probably be a good time to do that. Saying as we one have the time, and two it's work we need to do, uh, and three we can. It's the beginning of the year, so it's a it's a way to embrace maybe a new habit of. Uh, trying to figure out, okay, if we live to 100 and we retire at age, fill in the blank, 60, 70, whatever it might be, how are we going to get from the retirement date successfully to 100? Uh, So the first goal is uh, it might be 2.5. Again, if we're trying to replicate $100,000 over time, that clearly that, that number has to go up, but it gives you a good starting point. And then what kind of contributions do you need to make at what return so that you can see that you can arrive on time safely and then the next question becomes now we need to get this bucket of money let's say it's 2.5 million today and you're 70 now we need to make sure this money lasts for a good 20 or 30 years so do, do you see any hope do you see any hopeful signs out there
2: uh, i don't see i don't see a lot of hopeful signs it's if you're if you're in your 60s and you're in this in this predicament it's i'm not going to say it's too late but it's more challenging, and like like all things, it's not it's not impossible to get out of. it, But it just requires a lot of work, and it, which more than most people are willing to put into it. So uh, some people and it's not all bad planning for some people some people have been hit really hard with the the 2000s and the two the two big recessions that we saw in early 2000 and in 2008 and they never recovered from that and now we're now we're in a financial now we're in a pandemic so you got hit again now this is this is 10 years later from that but it's almost it's almost like for some people i'm sure they feel like they've been hit over and over and over again with these huge obstacles that they just they just can't get over so it's there's there's i can i don't know that i see any real bright light but it's going to require a lot of hard work
1: well and uh, one thing that we are doing to try and provide some bright light is providing at no cost uh, frontline workers with their personalized financial plan and the national average for that kind of service is uh, about two thousand dollars daniel and i will take the time 90 minutes on Zoom to sit down with um, individuals or families to recognize what is your target? What kind of money are you going to need to make work optional on your time frame? And and understand, to Daniel's point, this is from the National Endowment for Financial Education, 96% of Americans uh, face four or more income shocks during their lifetimes, which of course can reduce their retirement savings. So yes, there are things that get in the way. Yes, it is challenging, but it's not impossible. And it just means taking the time to set up those targets and then reviewing them. Not much different than, uh, what is it? Apollo 13 was off uh, 75, 90% trying to get to the moon, but it made it. So being off track and dealing with the winds and the waves and all the difficulties and the uncertainties, it just becomes part of the equation. But to the extent that you see a target, kind of like when you can get on an airplane again, you know what time you're supposed to leave, you know which airport you're supposed to arrive and what time you expect expect to get there on time safely. So it's not much different than that. There's a lot of attention that needs to be done between point A and point B, but given the time and the attention, clearly the the, the job can be done. So, um, yeah, I don't see a lot of uh, hope either <laughs> uh, because we're, as I say, we're we're so busy spending our way as though that's the ticket to financial independence. And this was uh, back in October on a uh, LinkedIn response, It effectively said that half of Americans over fifty five may retire poor, uh, and they were in uh, varied financial shape. One had just emerged from personal bankruptcy. Another had a well-funded retirement plan, then had to deal with aging parents and illness, even the sudden death of a spouse. And it's, by the way, that death thing that seems to kind of really interrupt uh, planners uh, apple cart because uh, they, they were expecting to work till seventy, and then they, they, or their partner or someone in their family became ill, which caused uh, the worker who expected to keep working until seventy to stop working sooner than expected to take to do the the caretaking for the loved one, and of course that means that clearly. Uh, the, there has been an interruption to making contributions to the plan, but again, these all we all require making adjustments, and and we need to be we need to be agile. So, hopefully, there will be more moves like the state of California, which is now um, de- declaring that if you that employers must set aside a retirement plan, that would help. Um, and either you're going to. Use the one that the, the state provides, or you can have your own. But it's going, I hope more states follow that example that where you know, people know as a function of working here, if you have five employees or more, uh, then you're going to have to set up a retirement plan. And, and that helps people actually uh, take the action that's needed. Daniel, describe how that works for California.
0: So for
2: California any any business over 5 five not today but they're going to be phasing into this any business over 5 employees is going to be required to have some kind of 401k plan or deferred some kind of retirement plan established for their employees. Now there's essentially two options. You the plan the company can establish a plan themselves. So they go out and they they find a, they work with somebody like us and they establish a 401k plan a, or a SEP IRA plan um, or a deferred compensation plan, some kind of retirement plan where the, where the employees can participate in, or they can join the state sponsored plan. And the state sponsored plan is essentially a Roth IRA. Um, it's a Roth IRA that the government that the state has established and the, the company can participate in and have their, their employees' contributions sent to that Roth for Roth IRA. From a logistics standpoint, that it's it's easier to use a state sponsored plan. But that doesn't give you nearly as much options for sta- as as you're establishing your own plan. When we're when we're working with a company and we're talking about what their needs are, we can figure out we can get very in we can get very detailed with a four hundred one k plan. We can tailor that to their needs. We can we can play with the cost so that the company um, fronts all of the all of it. All of the costs for the employees, or when we're working with like a nonprofit, we can tailor it so the the plan, the sponsor company doesn't pay doesn't pay for the fees, but the but the employees pay for the fees, and that makes sense for a nonprofit. We can do that on on a 401k because we can customize it. In the state sponsor plan, it is what it is. You get what you get. And it's it's fine as far as, as a Roth IRA goes. You're stuck with their options. And if I remember correctly, I think they have about 20 different options, some target date funds, some mutual funds, all relatively inexpensive. Um, and it, there's no cost to the employer to participate into that plan. There are some there are some other requirements. It's gonna, it's gonna require that they that they do a little more um, work on the payroll side. Someone actually has to keep track of the of people that are in the plan and people that decline to be in the plan and then process from a payroll standpoint, they have to process the contributions and send them to send them to the plan. So it will require a little bit more work on the employer side. In either case, it's gonna require a little bit more work. Um, but there's, in my in my opinion, it makes it typically makes more sense for the company to establish their own plan as opposed to participating in the state-sponsored plan.
1: I would agree, a big, and, and part of the reason for that, a uh, lot of four hundred one k's are pretty much commoditized, so the that's thanks to costs coming down but a lot of plans don't actually reveal all of the expenses. And that's one of the things that we like to do in the spirit of being a full transparency, to sit down with the decision makers so that they can see exactly all of the costs and then determine how much of those costs the employer wants to bear the company wants to bear or do they want to pass on to the employees any answer is is your answer uh, and there are uh, no restrictions on that in terms of having the employees for example pay all of the costs you could build a plan just like that uh, there there will be restrictions from the standpoint if you don't have a plan uh, do you know what the penalty is
2: um off the top of my head i believe uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to guess. I know there is a penalty for not yeah. participating and not complying with it. And I, I believe it's a per, per, per employee penalty. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a one-time fee or an ongoing fee.
1: Yeah, I don't know about the frequency, but I remember it too, it being uh, per employee. Uh, so I don't know if it's five hundred bucks, a thousand dollars. That 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 one of those numbers seems to be in the ballpark. But it's per employee that the uh, in the event you have a company and you have more than five people, as these laws uh, settle, you, those are the expectations. And if you don't meet the state's expectations, then you get to pay the fine. So as I say, it's uh, I, I see it as as part of the the good news uh, from the standpoint of people waking up that no, this is your job. <laughs> no one's gonna. Make you do this, okay? Just like no one makes you plan a wedding or a vacation, you accept that responsibility. And I will submit to you that by virtue of accepting that responsibility, you get the satisfaction of feeling good about what you're doing because you know this is from you to you with love and respect. And you can see now for the first time that we have a target. And, and now we have to do what we can to try and hit that target. But how can you possibly hit a target you do not see, right? So, let's turn on the light in the room and uh, recognize that these are targets that uh, we have to first see. And then we can see how what we can do to achieve them. But certainly setting that resolution if you will, being the first of the year, or that goal, is, is worthwhile and 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 I, I must say you know in terms of uh, irony uh, we the boomers said back in the 80s don't trust anyone over 30 and we really meant it <laughs> well now guess what uh, folks uh, 65 and older uh, feel eliminated be- uh, uh, for job applications because of their age they they say you go in they look at you and they say too old even they don't say it out loud and you're done <laughs> so the people who are trying to get a job uh, find few job interviews uh, and fewer good offers. And, and these folks who are trying to make those applications believe they have faced a systemic age discrimination. I just have to kind of appreciate the irony in the equation because I think we kind of wish this on ourselves. All right. So we're going to take one more quick break, ask that you stay with us. And we want to pick up with how can you have some, put some certainty into the equation, no matter what the world does or the market does or what the rioters do. um, And and what, what were some of these folks doing who became super savers? And what can you do? We'll be right back after a
0: At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. that's YBpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey.
1: The bottom line in business talk.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America
1: Business Network.
0: You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now back to Fiscal Fitness.
1: Welcome back, folks. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here. Delighted that you would are spending some time with us. So we want to wrap up the discussion we were having about Cal Savers and give you an outline as to what the deadlines are for the number of employees relative to having either a state-sponsored plan or installing your, your own plan. What, what are those dates and, uh, and, and amounts of uh, the number of employees, Daniel?
2: So, for, for companies that have 100 employees or more, the mm-hmm. deadline was uh, last September. For employee, for employers that have 50 employers or more, the deadline is June of this year, June thirty. And that's this 50
1: year. employees, right? Employers 50 that employees have this, or more. There we go. Okay.
2: And for employers that have five employees or more, the deadline is June 30, 2022. Okay. And the... The penalty, John, is $250 per employee. All right. That's probably per year. I'll I don't imagine. see a distinction you don't here see that website, yet, but I wouldn't yeah. be
1: surprised. <laughs> right, right. Stay tuned. But at least you know, it's either put the plan together, accept the state-sponsored plan, or get ready to write a check, okay? We have, we've got some time if you only have five employees or more, but those are your options. And what we're trying to do is put light on the road ahead so that you can uh, pretty well organize your thinking and your planning. Because, uh, by the way, our trademark is the proof is in the planning, and that is something that uh, we've we we're really pleased about, and we're very very, and we think that's just a factual statement. The proof is in the planning. So speaking of planning, well, um, oh, I should mention that we do have a book that uh, is available to our audience here. It's called "Making uh, Finance Make Sense." <clears throat> It's available at uh, Amazon and eBay. It's all of 15, 16 bucks. So, you know, I will not be getting rich off of this book. And if you prefer to have the Kindle version, I think the price at Amazon for the Kindle version of Making Finance Make Sense is all of 99 cents. I mean, what can you buy with a dollar these days? And uh, for some people, it's good news. The book is only about 100 pages. So it's not uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. It's designed uh, by me to be kind of a beach entrance so people can get the confidence to plan their financial success because we know that that is something, as I say, that is very satisfying for us as well as the the folks who actually uh, do the undertaking and doing their own financial planning. So now let's, this is, this is one of those things that we find interesting because you, you hear so much, as I say, that we we take what's complicated and we come up with a simple Uh, example or a catchphrase, if you will, uh, buy low, sell high, right? And and it's supposed to be good for everything. So what you've been hearing is that the U.S. households accumulated around $1.6 trillion in excess savings over the last 10 months. And this version is from Oxford Economics. So that sounds like everybody's been saving a whole lot of money. Although it turns out, we'll dig in a little bit further, But uh, it's been the top 20% of America that are the real pandemic super savers, all right? It's not been regular folks. It's been uh, the top 20% of earners, uh, to a lesser extent, the second 20% that account for all the current accumulated cash. Meanwhile, the rest of us, the bottom 60%, have spent most of the savings we've accumulated in the pandemic from direct payments and unemployment benefits so maybe it's that top 40 percent that is playing the game of game stock or trying to be a, a you know make money every day in, uh, in in selling but the rest of us we're spending all of the money that we have and again this comes from um, uh, this was an article in yahoo money and the speaker was uh Gregory Daco at Oxford, uh, economics chief US economist. The the bottom 60% have essentially spent most of their fiscal transfers. So we see the top quintile of households has saved an average of $50,000 since the pandemic started. That's pretty significant. While uh, this is for the uh, second quintile average $9,000, the analysis found. For the rest of the population, their savings are currently at their pre-pandemic levels or in some cases, lower. Now, overall, we've seen the savings rate get to be about 33%, which is historically high. Um, We saw, I think it was similar uh, rates back during the Great Depression when you couldn't buy anything. But when we look at what's going on for the bottom 60% of of earners, uh, it seems that that, uh, they were using a larger share of their savings in the spring months, when the bulk of the $1,200 stimulus checks were dispersed, and the extra $600 in in weekly unemployment uh, that quickly disappeared under you know that $600 under the the CARES Act. So, Daniel, let's talk about a little certainty in the equation, and let's let's begin at the bottom in terms of how people can see where they can put some certainty, some visibility in terms of the financial plans. And let's start with Social Security, which I think a lot of people just don't pay attention to. What what are the, the parts of that puzzle that are so important?
2: The most important part is uh, how, it, how it works, I think. So The way the way Social Security is calculated is it goes off your top 10 years or top 40 quarters of earnings and they average that out, and it does top out, I believe, at about 130,000 per year today, and that's how Social Security is calculated, and you essentially can take it at starting as early as 62 and as late as 70, and the the longer you wait, the more you get, so if you really need to start it right away, then you start at 62, and you take a discount of about 70% of 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 the full value, and then every year it goes up a little bit. It goes up by 8%, every year you don't take it. Now, if you do take it early, one of the things to know is that if you have additional, if you have other income, other earned income that reduces your social security. So if you started at 62 and you're still working, you're gonna take a haircut on that social security dollar amount. That changes at at 66 or 67, your full retirement age, depending on when you were born and it's it's all available to you then and then it goes up again by eight percent per year and it tops out at 70 or 71 depending on when you were born and uh, as far as certainty i think it's as uh, certain as it could as anything could possibly be long as the country's around the c- country's operating i believe they're going to be making those social security payments now they may make changes to them over time they may reduce it or they may make changes for younger people uh, as as my, myself, as an example, I might get pushed out from, I believe my, my regular, my normal full retirement age was 70, now it's 71. Who knows if it gets pushed out to 72 or 73 or 80, but those, those benefits are going to be around in some form or fashion.
1: And so it makes sense, folks, for you to check to make sure that Social Security is giving you all the credit for your income that uh, you have earned. So you need to either look for the mail once in the year for the statement that comes in from Social Security—they're mailing them out again—or establish the practice of going to SSA.gov. So it's like the initial Social Security Administration SSA Sam Sam um, .gov, G-O-V, government. uh, abbreviate it, G-O-V. Okay. So, SSA.gov. But you have to put in a series of answers to their questions to prove you are you. Once you get in, you can review it anytime you want, Uh, but you want to make sure that you're reviewing to make sure that they're giving you all the credit for the work hours that you, or the the, the funds that you have earned, uh, so that that works out to your benefit. And if you go to sleep, like Ben Winkle, and five years go by, and they uh, for some reason, don't give you the credit that you deserve, that's going to show up in the in your benefit being reduced. You Certainly, you don't want that to happen. And then when you do go, don't just do what most people do, which is to say, how soon can I get how much? That's a good question to have the answer to. But do notice the point that Daniel was making that's so important. Each year that you delay starting Social Security, your benefit actually increases by 8%. Now, that uh tops out at age 70 so there's no reason to wait past age 70. So for some folks we say look if you don't think longevity is on your side or you're likely to die sooner than later you probably and you're not going to continue working then it probably makes sense for you to start social security as soon as you possibly can. But if you continue to work or you have other sources of income what else has a guarantee of an eight percent increase as a benefit to you? I don't know of anything other than Social Security, so that that you want to just recognize how that uh, how that can make a big difference. And, and you said it from the earliest age to the late age, did you say that the difference is about a reduction of seventy percent in benefits, Daniel? Yeah, roughly. Okay, that's pretty significant. Again, if you need the money, then it really doesn't matter. But if you don't and you think you're gonna live, it's kind of nice to know. I just gave myself an eight percent raise and I can change my mind a year from now. Uh, but if I just keep going along because I have other income, for example, why wait? Why not? Why start it immediately when I can when I could wait till seventy? All right, so we, but that's an important piece of the puzzle, and that's where we think you should start in terms of building your foundation. Now, Daniel, let's talk about pensions because pensions have been a good way, particularly for our parents and grandparents, where, you know, you, the, the company had real money that, that, that they set aside for you that you could not outlive. What, what do we see with pensions these days?
2: Well, pensions, uh, the way they work is pretty similar to Social Security, typically there's some kind of calculation based on how long you were there and how much you earned and that, it, it, that you have some kind of guarantee uh, income for some period of times. And the real important thing to know about pension is when how you make the selection for your income. Very important. If anybody's looking at those pension options, please talk to a professional that that knows the options, because there's big differences between a single life only and a ten year a ten year period certain, a ten year period certain, and there's everything in between. Um, but for pension, for pensions which are for the most part going away, some of them are going to be in big trouble, and a lot, I think all of them are facing huge changes. People are living longer and the pensions are for the most part underfunded. They didn't expect people to live as long and to make as much as they are. And the projections for the investments inside the pensions have not for the most part performed as well as projected. So you kind of have for some of these, some of these companies, you have a perfect storm. You have people living longer. Benefits are higher than you expected and you're not making as much money as you expected. So if the money runs out, where does it come from?
1: And let me back up a bit, cause I should have mentioned in terms of social security, uh, two things. One, if you're divorced or you were married, you know, after for more than 10 years, check to see what your spousal benefits might be on either side of the equation. We tend to think about it being the man and the woman, but maybe it's the woman and the man. So even in the case of the man not uh, stopping or not uh, continue to contribute to social security, he may have some benefits from his ex-wife. Something you want to want to check out. And the language that Social Security uses in terms of looking at uh, that benefit that tops out at age seventy, they call that the delayed retirement credit. So just that you, it's not crucial, uh, but that's just what they call it. In terms of summarizing real quickly with uh, with pensions, we see that. Uh, in fact, I have a good friend of mine. Dad was getting a very nice pension of ten thousand dollars a month for over twenty years and out of the blue got a letter saying your benefits for the rest of your life have been reduced to $1,500 a month for the rest of your life. So what we're saying is the the two things that uh, you have to keep your eye on because see, there's really nothing you can do with the pension and the people who are running the company uh, are making these decisions may not be those same people in 20 or 30 years when they make different decisions or the same people wake up and discover our projection was we were gonna see a six or 7% return. Our reality on an annual basis, our reality has been four. Clearly our expectations are higher than our reality. We need to make adjustments. Or in the case of some of the, and by the way, size does not matter here. We would say that uh, size in terms of the government, if it's a government pension, those would probably be the strongest private pensions, but they're all the whole industry, you know, where uh, pensions are happening are in trouble from the standpoint that the contributions have been insufficient and the returns for sometimes longer than expected were less than necessary to make all of these pieces of the puzzle work. And then of course, you've got longevity where those with resources and insurance are are living longer than than, than average. So let's talk on one more point, Daniel, and that is uh, to talk about annuities.
2: So we're going to have to make this quick because we're running out of yep. time, but the other form, and this is essentially a private form of a guarantee, is it's similar to a pension, similar, similar to Social Security, but the insurance companies are the ones that are making the guarantees for income. And there's all kinds of different annuities, but the the basics of it is you give the insurance company a certain amount of money and they give you a guarantee on how much income they will pay you for your lifetime. Um, you give them X dollar amount and they calculate it based on the dollar amount, your age and uh, different annuities have different rates of, of income and how they work and how they're paid out to you. But it's a private; it's essentially a private pension
1: and for some folks, it's very important. Not for everybody. We're not sure. Not one size fits all. But if you're looking for ways, we went through three building blocks to put some more certainty in the equation. We'll pick up uh, next week with more details as to how you can... Uh, Uh, participate with uh, greater uh, chances of improving your odds. Let's put it that way. But at this point, uh, Daniel Medina and John Grace uh, are happy that you joined us today. We'll be right back here next Wednesday from 12 to 1 Pacific time. So have a good week and we'll see you next Wednesday.